there's a, a little map that I drew, which is a map of Australia, and then in the middle, wrote $2 million. And that was the four-year dream. $118 million later. I think it's actually 120 now, and you mentioned 145 scientific breakthroughs. And I was up in Queensland, and they just celebrated the 150th. You, you attract like for like, and I think that's the part that with Tour de Cure especially, you know, we, we kept on attracting great people and they saw it as a group where they could invest and they felt comfortable and we acknowledged and, and embraced what they wanted to contribute. So I think that same sits across movements of people, you know, allowing people to bring their best and, and elevate even higher when they're lifted to more from others around them. What's your purpose? The joy that I get out of helping people find their tribe and, and me internally finding my tribe as well, that's led me to go, this is what I want to do. This is where I feel I can contribute. This is, you know, if we all have a little superpower, bringing people together, like-minded, united behind a cause, you know, I think that's, that's a really important part of connecting with people. Optimise performance through adapting your physical, psychological and emotional state. Hi, it's Andrew and welcome to another edition of the Performance Intelligence Podcast, the podcast about all things human performance. Jeff Coombs' story is a testament to the transformative power of purpose and the impact of connection within our communities. Jeff is co-founder of Tour de Cure, an amazing charity that have raised over $118 million dollars funding over 144 major scientific cancer research breakthroughs and supporting 979 cancer projects. Amazing numbers. Jeff's contribution has resulted in him being awarded the prestigious Order of Australia Medal. After nearly 17 years with Tour de Cure, Jeff has embarked on a new mission, Stride For. His vision is to empower and amplify collaboration across charity sectors emphasizing the importance of purpose-driven endeavors and the strength of community bonds. Jeff is a walking, talking testimony to living a life aligned with purpose and the power of connection. Jeff Coombs, OAM, welcome to the podcast. Andrew May, good to be here. We've been speaking about this for a long time. I think we started this podcast with about 18 months or so ago, and not long after that, I said, hey, I want to get you on the podcast. Then we had a bit of a conversation. I said, hey, let's wait a little bit because you were starting to talk more about purpose and your story, not just the can for cancer story. So excited to see what you're doing now. But before we get to what you're doing now with Stride For, let's go back a little bit. It's really interesting, mate, when you're doing this with a buddy, we're cycling mates, we catch up a bit outside as well. And you dig into and find information. I've found some information out about you, Jeff Coombs, that I didn't know. <laughs> this could be interesting. Your heart rate's gone up. So it let's has. talk about your background and story. I want to talk about that ride across the USA. Jeff rode a bike across the USA. You know you can catch a train. And you know that the wind goes from the west to the east. So there's a tip for people wanting uh, to go and do it. Did you go east to west? I did then, go east to west, yeah. yeah Good lesson learned. Two, uh, starting Tour de Cure all those years ago, why did you start it? I want to talk about creating a movement in a post-COVID world. How important is it to have connection, to have purpose, all those wonderful outcomes the organisations you've started have? We're going to talk about the power of purpose and then we'll talk about next chapter. But let's go way back. Born in Melbourne, your dad was an aircraft engineer with Qantas. You travelled a lot. A bit of a nomad growing up, I imagine. 
Very much an expat. So Melbourne left when I was four, Singapore, England, Malaysia, Germany, Africa, an incredible opportunity. And yeah, came back to, to finish some schooling in Sydney, went to boarding school because mum and dad were still overseas. But yeah, definitely would say that my early years were very much um, being a, a foreign expat. Loved it. Foreign expat, I, no, my story is not as glamorous as that. Wagga, Glenninus, Yas Dubbo, <laughs> the son of a, a Department of Agriculture. Dad was a sheep and wool officer, Jeff, and he got a promotion in his last posting, which was when we went to Dubbo, uh, slow, special livestock officer, which was goats and alpacas. So like dad really moved up in the world. But even that as a kid going to different schools, it actually gave me a skill set I didn't realise then, but the ability to go and talk to a different group, you know, big part of my life, a big part of your life. I imagine for you, especially with fundraising, to front up and go and talk to people and to tell them, hey, we want some of your hard-earned cash, individual or company, for the cause – can only think that growing up on that nomad lifestyle absolutely gave you a grounding. You had to learn to just fit in. Mum and dad, honestly, every 18 months, hey, we're off, where are we going? So you've just started to make friends in a new school and then you're going to be uprooted, pack up, find yourself in another land. Um, often had shoes to fill into with the previous family that was there, but you did. You had to make friends and assimilate quickly. And I think it gave you that appreciation for the world. And we are all different and we all get to bring different things to it. But if you stay in your own little, you know, quiet corner, you're not going to get to enjoy it. You're not going to meet the people that make it special. So wonderful memories and a lot of skills, for sure. Give me some tips for fitting in. And I'm asking you this with a bit of a bias because I learned the hard way when I moved to Dubbo and, and some of my Dubbo mates do listen to the podcast, so they'll laugh at this. Year 10, I had big hair, like big hair, really skinny. I had hair back then, Jeffrey. And uh, I rocked into year 10 and, you know, I was a runner and it was a football town, Dubbo. I think I went a little bit too hard too soon to try and impress people, you know, <laughs> pissed a few people off. Some of those are now my mates, we laugh. But, yeah, I made a couple of really big mistakes back then. So what were your tips about assimilating into a new environment? Oh, I remember coming back from mum and dad were moving back and mum took me aside and said, right, you need to learn how to speak Australian. You know, g'day, mate, gives a go. You know, So trying to give us, we'd, we'd grown up in the English schooling system, you know, the Queen's English and spoke very well. So I think what understanding, oh, 12, 13. So yeah, finding, finding where you fit. And obviously, I, I love sport. So you gravitate to the sports and, and, you know, try and shine. But equally, I think years later, realising that it's about participation, you know, especially as we're getting older, everyone steps back a bit. We don't have the opportunities like we have at school when you must do the school sport and play after school. So I think finding finding where you've got your energy for things, you know, what makes you, you know, shine, what brings the best out in you is a key to it all. And then, yeah, not being a dickhead. Maybe, maybe that's, simple, the, that's the pit you didn't Principle right. in life, isn't it? Hey, be a good person. <laughs> don't be a dick. So 12, did you have the pompous, posh English? Was it, hello, I'm Jeffrey Coons. Were you like that? <laughs> Look, we were in the, the English schooling system and we lived so, in England so for a year. So were you like that? I don't know for sure, but let's assume so. Yes, Where's good going chance. red? I think that's a yes. <laughs> you pompous. Good chance. You've got good, a good Aussie accent good now. Good chance, yes. Okay, so the nomad lifestyle. This is what I love about a podcast, Jeffrey, because then you start to pull on a thread and go, right, I've been with you at multiple events and schools. Like how many school visits have you done around Australia where you talk about be fit, be healthy, be happy? Hundreds. Hundreds. And every time you do it, I look at you and go, you just do it so naturally. So that makes sense. 
Then in the research, finding about your bike ride, 25 years of age. So was that a backpacking trip gone wrong? I mean, did you go over there to try and do no, some meeting of different not at people? All. No, to be honest, a buddy and I in in school had talked about cycling through the south of France. He spoke French, Nick Gassman. And then five years after school, you know, playing rugby, enjoying life, but really felt that itch to travel. And I think that transient lifestyle that mum and dad had given me, I wasn't settled. You know, I'd done some study, change jobs, change girlfriends, change houses, just I think all those years of being 18 months to two years in one place, I had to go. So Did you this change opportunity- girlfriends or were you changed? <clears throat> Both. Let's let's assume the latter. Um, but the, the isn't opportunity it to go- we, Isn't it funny how we narrate our stories? I did, I did that. There's a girl that I, I loved. I was so in love with her and we broke up and I, I was telling a story recently. I said, oh yeah, when you know, we decided to move on. I said this to one of my mates and he went, you didn't decide to move on. You got moved on, buddy. You were miserable for months. I, I have no you. doubt that was the case. But yeah, the, the chance to, to meet up in New York. Then we said, well, don't we, we've got three months to get to Whistler during the, the Australian ski, you know, off year. And then we decided to buy bikes, did a couple of rides around Central Park, bought a camping, bought a tent, little two-person tent. It was small. And a map and a train ticket to Vermont and a good sense of adventure. And off we set. So we had nine weeks to get to Whistler for, or get to Canada um, to then go and try and find a job in one of the ski towns and, you know, that sense of adventure, that opportunity just to throw caution to the wind, um, naively brave, but very fortunate. Within the the first week, we met these two American guys, Mike Doolan and Mike Berg, planned within an inch of themselves. They were doing Portland, Oregon to Portland, Maine. We ended up staying together for seven weeks, you know. So you you literally tacked onto that. We literally had the same agenda to get from East Coast to West Coast. Um, We got to Montana and we headed north up into Kamloops. They kept going west. The chance to cycle across America was phenomenal. And these two guys who became great mates and seven, eight weeks together, every day you'd wake up and set off on your next adventure and didn't always really have a plan. But everyone would, you know, the hospitality we were shown for that. If I remember way back then, I hadn't ridden. You know, as an expat, I maybe had a bike in some of the t- places that we lived. Um, got out of boarding school and just, oh, I want to do this thing. And I remember buying bikes in New York and I was a big rugby player. No way am I going to wear those Lycra shorts. Not a chance. Anyway, literally you a week. You cycle in shorts for a day, then you wear those Well, Lycra it was. Pants. it probably took me a week and a half to realise that, you know, that was a, a poor error of judgement. Um, chafed and cut up within an inch of myself. So, and even, you know, Fast forward another six weeks and I was shaving my legs. So the you whole- still do now, right? Just, still just do. The hair's just fallen off your yeah, follicles. No, no. But phenomenal adventure and, and you know, memories that I cherish and um, set me forward, I guess, to say this is, a, this is a way to do things. Let's go back to that slice. As, as you were saying that, I found myself drifting. You know, to talk about looking at body language. You, you tend to look up to the right when you're sort of reflecting and looking forward. And I found myself looking to the right. I'd love- now to have an eight, eight or nine week block in my diary. If my kids or Tony listen to this, love you all. But if I think about my diary, like I know it's exactly what's happening. Every NRL game coming up over 24 weeks in a 27 week block, there's 14 games of rugby union with the Waratahs. I know Tim's fight coming up. I know keynotes right up until the end of the year. So point, my diary is locked a lot already in the year. So when you said that, an eight or nine week block in your diary and you lit up and I just went, oh, that would be nice. So do you ever feel like that now? Do you ever look at your diary, the commitment you've got? You've been with Tour de Cure, 
for 17 years and you've done an amazing job. You've all done an amazing job and you, you and Gary and Sam will get to the founder story in a moment. But do you wish now you had that eight-week block? And I, you could just I had it ride? less than less than a year ago. So I took a break. You know, stepped away from TDC and actually had a, a very deliberate break. It didn't have that big adventure, but there was a couple of trips overseas. There was the decompressing from a really busy period and, a, and a, you know, an interesting time in my life with marriages and so on. So it's I think it's a really important part. If you do get to reset, I think I came away a lot better out of it. Yeah, I did a sabbatical when I left KPMG. It was amazing. Just And I said no. My, my only goal for three months was to say no. I got a few job opportunities, no, because I would have said yes out of ego. But then that gave me the time to reflect and getting really to the theme we're talking about today, to, to look at what my purpose was and to start thinking about that. So you've done the bike ride across the States. Finish that. What happened? Came back to Australia. Actually, sorry, finished through traveling around South America. So probably did two and a half years overseas. Loved it. Came back. Two and a half years, just backpacking? Uh, working. I worked the, the summer in Whistler as a mountain bike tour guide. So, you know, really set that love of bike riding off at that point from, you know, let's call it a novice. Uh, and then got back to Australia and, you know, landed a job in, uh, in marketing and in sales, you know, where the skills kind of certainly shone. Spent the next 10 years leading a couple of little state offices and then got into branding and promotional merchandise. Was making, you know, promotional merchandise for Powerade. So I was the account director on Coca-Cola. So when Coke was launching Coke Zero, we helped create the brand assets that went with it and all the marketing and promotions. The um, Coca-Cola show bag at the Royal Easter Show, you know, 17,000 units of stuff. So I got to a point where it's like, oh God, I feel like I'm making landfill. Honestly, I am, you know, without purpose. Definitely didn't so have a good, direction. Good money, good opportunities. Making, making good money, yeah, yeah. and you know, had a had a you know a pathway to keep going if I wanted to. But at that point, I realised I was doing things naturally to help others. You know, the big walks, the grow your mows, the shave your heads. As I look back on it, they were all related to cancer, but cancer wasn't personal. But then that chance to belong to a group, to feel like you're contributing, to have a sense of purpose around, hey, here's how I can invest my time and my skills and bring that to life. And yes, that experience in being able to ask people, you know, connect quickly and then engage people around supporting something that I'm passionate about and helping help other people realise that passion and how they can feel a part of it. So yeah, always been a, a strong fundraiser and an ambitious fundraiser. And then Tour de Cure, kind of sat as an idea, having ridden across America, we could do it here. And I remember looking up a number of other cycling events that were going in Australia. Chain Reaction, Tour de Kids. Tour de Kids was probably the big one. They were probably three years old and they had Warwick War. They had the CEO of Coca-Cola. They had all these seriously, you know, impressive leaders. And I was a junior burger, you know, not feeling like, but they were doing their events. And I was like, okay, I don't, I'm, I'm intimidated to ride or to take part in there, but I reckon I can create something you know how do we traverse a country how do we do it for a cause so got the idea floated with samantha hollier and gary burt whistle and yeah over a coffee that potential to create something aligned to giving back kind of just bubbled and it bubbled with such infection that right push away from the table and what does it look like how could it work what's the first year what's the fourth year what do we say is our did, did you look at that at that first meeting looking at 
year one, year four? No, look, let's be honest. Gary and Sam, and Gary in particular, brilliant marketer. You know, so creating a brand behind Tour de Cure was always part of the the objectives, setting a vision for what we wanted to achieve. But yes, that, and I, I should have brought it, but there's a, a little map that I drew, which is a map of Australia, and it had these four little legs, and it was Brisbane, Sydney, Sydney, Melbourne, Melbourne, Adelaide, and Darwin, Broome. And then in the middle, wrote $2 million. And that was the four-year dream. You know, for me, it was a selfish, hey, I want to ride these parts of the country. Um, $2 million felt like it was a ridiculous sum of money to, to have a, a vision to try and achieve. But that kind of lit the fire amongst other people going, I can see that. I'm, I'll buy into it. $118 million later. I think it's actually 120 now. And you mentioned 145 scientific breakthroughs. Just last weekend, I was up in Queensland at the Soiree for a Cure, and they just celebrated the 150th scientific breakthrough that they helped achieve. What I love about the work with Tour de Cure, and as you know, we've been on multiple bike rides together, especially with Westpac and Combank, and I've done a few guest rides on your signature tour. I've never done a 10-day ride, so I'm not going to pretend I've done a full ride we, yet. We know you can't, Andrew, yet. so I haven't invited you. And I've interviewed you know, multiple people in those organisations. What I love every year is I have to do an update on the stats because it just it, it, it literally is going up incrementally, the breakthroughs, the research, the money. So over $120 million, and you had this little goal back then, big goal, $2 million. Can we get the copy of that and we will put that on the show notes sure. so we can yeah. actually yeah. show? Because what I love, really, this is, this is not just around purpose. It's an entrepreneur story. You've just made the money for cancer research. It hasn't gone to you, which is what you do with a charity. But when you had that clear vision at the start and then you had some storytelling, I'll, I'll let you jump back into what happened from there. But I just wanted to parallel this. There's a book called Range, and I've mentioned it on this podcast a few times. I've actually got a connection with David Epstein, who's written this book to get him on. It's one of my favourite books because Epstein talks about it's the collective sum of all the experiences you've had that have got you to where you need to be. He talks about athletes, the best thing athletes can do, don't specialise when you're 14 or 15, play lots of different sports. He talks about Roger Federer as an example. So your range to to go to a good school, but an expat lifestyle, nomad, having to forced to adapt and learn communication skills and settle in, otherwise you'd make the mistake I did at Took, I reckon it took six months, maybe a year to claw that back. Oh, I laugh now, but it wasn't much fun at the time. Then the skills you got backpacking and riding and going, oh, I like this. And then you worked marketing with Coca-Cola and then you're putting landfill in show bags and going, hey, this doesn't feel like it's really fueling me, giving me some bounce out of bed. But then you take all those, have a coffee with two other buddies, right? Let's do this in four years, $2 million and you're exactly where you need to be. The interesting thing, and and yes, that initial vision that rallied 29 people in year one behind what we could do, and I've, I've got some very vivid memories of, of good mates who signed up and they're like, these guys got no chance, but what do we have to lose by giving them a hand? So, you know, happy to have proven them wrong, but that momentum and the vision that kept on reshaping. So as you call out the now at 120 million, at the end of that third year, what Tour de Cure did very well was we'd always reset where we were going and the vision and the mission and the values. And that was a really important part to make sure that we remained current with what people wanted to belong to. The um, relationship that you then had with your corporates and their appreciation of your vision and their ability to support it. And then as Tour de Cure as a brand grew, you know, Mark Beretta knocked on our door in year three, wanting to, wanting to come, wanting to get involved, 
you know, not a cyclist, but can ride a bike. And, you know, I remember having Don't a... Don't take a, a Beretta that he does the, <laughs> the start of the ride up the front of the pack, and then you put him in the middle, and, and Barretts will make sure you listen to this bit, so we wind you up, buddy. And then as you're rolling into a country town, they put him on the front, and there's Mark Beretta from Sunrise. Oh, look, <laughs> we, we know how to make him look good, but equally, you know, Mark, Mark done has done a job. phenomenal... And Sunrise, do you think every year... In that period, that is around September, it's been changes, right? The, the signature, or is it April? No, it's typically anywhere from April to June. Just the the best time of year to ride certain parts of the country, and always riding somewhere different. But Barretts is going into its fifteenth year, you know, and I, I distinctly remember going, "Gosh, if we can just get him to stay for three. At, when he joined us in the third year, I remember we were on track to raise eight hundred thousand, I think it was, and with his help, we raised one point eight. So suddenly that four-year goal of $2 million was blown out of the water and then move forward every year, suddenly you're almost raising one and a half to two million a year and established as a, a charity that is delivering impact, working really well with the corporate sector, a national audience with Channel 7 and the momentum of good people that kept on wanting to invest. Those 29 people in that first year, you know, they forged where Tour de Cure could become. You know, all their ideas and their passion. A couple of questions. Of those first 29, how many are still involved? A lot. And not directly, but they're still invested. So they'll, they'll attend and our some events. some of the names. I might know a few. Oh, Josh McBride, Danny Moore, um, David Lowe, Andrew Walker, um, Mal Heath, yeah. yeah, Phil Murray, a lot of them in that first, first, second and third year, but they were those founding members. And again, at very... Honestly, at the very beginning, it was very male-focused and we had a couple of girls and then distinctly over the years, and it was probably Dave Curran that, that was really challenging us to relate to more people. And we did. We had a number of years where we just got bigger and stronger. You know, we're hard men and we can do 280 kilometres in a day and that's not inclusive. Yeah, that's not welcoming. Else. No. Yeah. And then you realise we got to a point where it's actually we get the most value and even bringing new people into Tour de Cure because you're nurturing, because you're caring, because you're engaging and inclusive. And so all those big bravado milestones felt like, okay, we've we've done it, you know, yes, tick the box, ridden 700 kilometres in three days, but now so much more joy and um, vision to the future by engaging people to take up the sport, to feel like we're a community they can belong to, to see this as an area that they can, you know, learn, enjoy and contribute. Hey, it's me. Just a quick note, I'd love you to subscribe to the Performance Intelligence Podcast. And I know, you probably hear this on so many other podcasts, and like me, you switch off. But can I ask you to please go to your favourite podcast platform and subscribe. And while you're there, extra bonus, leave a rating and review. That's it. Now, let's get back to this week's episode. And I want to get to the changes, especially with the, the, the explosion of the corporate partnerships. But before we do, because I've got a bias, right? Because I know you, I know a lot of these characters in the story. A signature tour, normally 10 days. Normally nine days. Started as 10 and then wound it back to nine. There's been a couple of eights, but typically it's nine days and it's point to point. This next event is in four weeks, three, I think, um, probably one when you're selling this going live, but it's from um, Hobart to Adelaide. So every year is different. Average um, distance in the uh, nine days? 12 to 1,400 kilometres. You know, we've done a couple of tours where it was Brisbane up to Cairns and that was closer to 1,700 kilometres, very flat. 
but it's always a challenge. It's going through communities that we can contribute to and give back to. So one of the beautiful things about Tour de Cure is that they go and teach kids how to prevent cancer and a healthy lifestyle and what that can do to reduce their risk of cancer. Every community that we go into and stay the night, we donate $10,000 to a local cancer project. So wanting to leave the community in a better place than when we visited, but appreciating their incredible hospitality and the chance to experience what they love about their communities. Yeah, very special. I'm going to narrow down on this next question. Out of the tours you've done, the signature tours, is there a favourite one that jumps out? Definitely. Sydney to Hobart, 2013, I think it was. You know, Sydney to Hobart, everyone sails it. We rode it and it was it was big and it was epic and it was um, bloody challenging. I think we had 22,000 metres of elevation. We had a, a, a tummy bug go through, which wasn't fun, but again, just added to that Especially sense of added to that sense of achievement. <laughs> One of our first trips across to Tassie, so hopping on the Spirit of Taz, sailing over, you know, getting off into beautiful Devonport, and then just being blown away with the beauty it's of, stunning, of um, Tasmania. Yeah, that's. I think I've done sixty nine tours, two hundred and eighty five days on tour. There's been some really special days. 69 different tours, almost a year yeah. of your life on the bike. Favourite town you visited? And I know you love every town you go to. This is like saying, hey, Jeff, who's your favourite kid? <laughs> you look around, which one's closest to me? Oh, it's, it's that one. Is there a town that oh, a town or a, a moment that really just drops out at you? Uh, look, I love the snowy region in particular, and uh, the back of the Snowy Mountains down through Cancoban. Favourite town, far and away, it's Armadale. You know, the people of Armadale, really? just a very strong connection to, and and they they invested into a cure in the early days and some wonderful lifelong friends. And in turn, out of um, Armadale, uh, one of our kind of early sponsors, a guy by the name of Bill Wheeler, who had a company called Bill Plan. Bill set up what's now known as Tour de Rocks, and they have a, a beautiful country-style Tour de Cure. And he calls it the the black and white version, you know, the, the cheap version. But they do a three-day ride from Armadale down to Southwest oh, Rocks. i on your social media. Tour de Rocks. Yeah. Wholesome, beautiful. Like you are riding with all ages, all shapes, all quality of bikes. You camp in these you know, quite remote spots down at the junction, which is a place between two rivers. They have a catering crew that prepare a incredible feast for everyone who stays. You sleep in your own tents and there's swags and they're country folk. You know, it is, I honestly say, I don't know why it's not on Qantas as a, hey, when you come to Australia, you've got to come and do this. It's wholesome. So I lived in Glen Innes for 11 years. So Armadale was every year for athletics and for football. So yeah, when you went Armadale, out of all the places, oh, I know Armadale well. You mentioned Barrett's coming in. Whether it's a charity, and, and you do, you run it like TDC is run like a business. It has to be to raise that much money. Out of you, Gary, Sam, who had the foresight with respect to get out of your own way and to get other people in to help? Because when I look at some of the names you've mentioned before, and I, I, I won't mention specific names because I'll forget someone, but you know, I know a bunch of people on your board, a very high-level corporates, you know, from banks and finance and a range of organisations. Bruno Morell, who's been chair for a number of years. So how did you get people like that? And whose vision was it to go and get other people? Because I think that's a lesson for anyone listening to this, whatever you run, could be self-employed, could be a sporting team, one of the athletes, 
you work with or an athlete I work with is, is you know, an individual, but you have a team around you, or you could be CEO of a big business. I want to know where did that lesson or where did that vision come from to get out of your own way and get other people in? I'd say it definitely came from Sam and Gary. You know, our, our first board members was Gary's father-in-law, Beach Thomas, who was a lawyer and an accountant and another person, but we always had a board and we always knew that the caliber of people on the board contribute to your vision, contribute to the way you operate and your strategic direction. And then behind the board then sat a number of communities. And I think Bruno would be the one I'd credit with that, that building these, um, not communities, sorry, committees, and these committees that would take a leadership role in your governance, in the um, people and culture, in the risk, in the technology, and engaging people through their sense of commitment to the purpose, volunteering, you know, huge amounts of hours of people near the best in their field, if not the best in their field, volunteering to Tour de Cure to help shape the way that we approach things and the governance with which we did it, you know, massive um, kudos to that being set up. And for anyone wondering if they should, you know, you are a, you're a reflection of the people that invest in you. And I think if you get that right, you know, there's nothing you can't unlock. We have frameworks and research and psychology to add to that now. But when you were sitting there having a coffee all those years ago, you, Bertie and Sam, you weren't going, hey, let's look at Angela Duckworth's research on a growth mindset. You know, let's really build that. But it, it, it has been, and that's what I've loved, the association that I've had. Yeah, but I'm, I'm proud of being involved with Tour de Cure. About 11 years ago, I was in the supermarket at Swansea and ran into Bruno. And uh, two years leading up to that, we're doing a podcast on this coming up, actually. This is the 10th year of Can for Cancer. So we're going to get you back for a cameo for that. We're going to get all the players back 10 years ago, because this is that next evolution I said about going more corporate. So two years in a row, my old business then, Strive Stronger, we'd ridden from Sydney to Newcastle. And the second year was David Farr, Gareth Newton... QB wasn't there, but he wanted to make it. Quinton Boyce was at Combank, and there were five or six Holt Hardy and a bunch of others, so pretty well Mark half Jones, yep. uh, were from Combank. QB rang up and he said, Maisie, I want to do your bike ride next year. I said, why don't you sponsor it? He said, what do you mean? I said, Combank, you got a little bit more on your balance sheet than I do at the moment. So that started <laughs> a conversation. Hey, let's then roll this into Combank. And then I ran into Bruno because QB and I went and met with Matt Common, who at that stage was head of Retail Bank. And Matt said, love the idea. We'd really like to do something in that community space. Love the connection with fitness. Biggest concern, QB, biggest concern, Maisie, is risk. We can't do this ourselves. Um, You can't do it with your business. We need to partner with someone. Fast forward a couple of weeks. It's literally Saturday night in Coles at the fresh produce section. I look up. I see Bruno. Maisie, Bruno, mate, what are you doing? I'm here staying at mum and dad's. Mum and dad, they live at Swansea. I've got a holiday house. Nah, no way. The next morning we went for a ride and then hatched the plan. A few weeks later we presented to Matt and then Can for Cancer evolved and then it was a whole bunch of people that picked up. You, way back then, Quinton Boys, there were a whole bunch of people. Clive Van Horen picked up at the next phase. And then we had uh, big Johnny McClellan. So it's been a massive team effort, massive team effort. But in reflecting on that, this will be $20 million raised this year in the 10th year. Staggering. Yeah. I remember you – Coming in and having a chat going, Jeff, I'm going to raise a million dollars for Tour de Cure. 
And I distinctly remember that because our first association goes right back to the day of inspiration, if you remember that. Yes. And Gary inviting you to be a speaker. In a keynote presentation. In a, you know, an event series. Lisa Messenger, I can remember. And if you think, like, imagine if that had have shaped the way that TED Talks is, because that was pre-TED Talks. That was getting inspiring people to share with our audience, as diverse as that audience was, around the secrets of achievement. Yeah, so, shout out to Gary Burt. We still haven't seen him for years, but he, he was a massive innovator, wasn't he? Just a visionary. Way above for sure. No question. No question. But yeah, ComBank, ComBank has been it's an always incredible big noting that I was going to make a million dollars. Yeah, yeah. And we, I must admit, like, if I go back, Dave Curran engaged... Tour de Cure in a golf day for the ES division of ComBank. They gave us, I think, 30 grand. We then said, right, ComBank's now a sponsor of Tour de Cure, plastered their logo everywhere, got a couple of riders to take part, visited a branch, you know, represented the brand as we did. And that was probably three or four years before even the Can for Cancer. So seeding that cycling executives, you know, peer to peer, you know, behind a cause was something that was there. And then, yeah, you and QB going, how does this relate to bigger impact? How do we get more people? How does this well, sport so that we're doing? I was stressed out because we had all these people literally saying, I want to join your bike ride. I'm, like, I'm running a business and, yeah, you know, you always put the projection, how's your business going? Oh, it's great. But underneath they're like, we were bursting at the seams. <laughs> they tried to run corporate programs. Then I could just see this was going to take a lot of time. But I'd done a number of your three-day events and loved it. And the entrepreneur in me went, this is just a natural fit. Like, how good is it? Your amazing vision that you've, you've all turned into this enterprise called Tour de Cure. How do you then get that into inside a bank? So then it, it went for three years. Do you remember the first first day? I'm going to. I've had a lot first days. We've got Matt Common um, coming on the podcast soon, so I'm going to talk to Matt about this. We were in Barrel, and the next morning you put everyone into a peloton. And you said, all right, welcome everyone. They're like so much more structured. This is the Wild West back then. You yeah. remember? Yeah. All right, we're like going to have it. three different ride leaders as we roll out of Balmoral. You're saying, I'll take group one. Okay, group two, go with Maisie. Group three, uh, you can go with Matt Common. Where did 90% of the people go to? Matt Common. So you went, oh, all right, I'm going to give you a number. One, two, three, one, two, three. So we've learned a lot back since then. But three years into it, Lynn McGrath. Hello, Lynn. Because it's amazing all this recall. Lynn McGrath said to one of the Can for Cancer committees, the problem or the challenge with Can for Cancer is it's stale, pale, executive males riding expensive carbon bikes. Clive Van Horen, CVH to his credit, went, yeah, you're right. And then a walk started. So I just love this evolution. Right? It started with you, know, you guys in a cause, now knowing your story more to really replicate that experience you had on your map. You did that four-year vision. Let's make $2 million. You know, it goes all the way back. Like we've had incredible corporate relationships since the very beginning. You know, I remember knocking on the door of Lexus. I'd bought one a couple of years earlier, reached out to the dealer principal where I'd bought it, said, hey, here's what we're doing. Can you support us? You know, he got involved in year one. Lexus have been involved with Tour de Cure since 2007. Yes, so I see Lexus and I know it's that you know, radar that pops up as well, you know, the reticular activating system, but I see Lexus Lexuses, Lexi, what's the plural? Lexus, Lex, I see Lexus cars everywhere with TDC logos on them. But I think nurturing those relationships and then building out how we relate to their audience, and it's not just a, hey, your brand looks good on a little bit of Channel 7 coverage. How do we engage your dealers? How do we engage your customers? How do we engage your frontline staff, your, you know, wherever it is? And yeah, that opportunity, I remember Clive knocking the door saying, Jeff, can you do a walk for us? 
And I remember very distinctly going, oh, yeah, maybe 300 people, 200. And then he said, no, I want 500. You know what the goal is this year for their 10th anniversary? 10,000. 10,000 walkers, Combank around Australia. Like, phenomenal. I just, I get goosebumps, goosebumps. And it's, and from, from that and understanding, yes, opens it up to a huge number of people and the barriers to entry aren't, do I, can I afford a $7,000 bike and the time on the equipment? But yeah, Combank, Westpac, Well, then Dave Curran picked it up at Westpac, didn't he? But the walks now, Tour de Cure would have anywhere from eight, and if Combank get to 10, then they'll probably have 13,000, 15,000 walkers taking part across nine, 10, 11 different walks around the country. Um, and it's, it's beautiful, like watching people shoulder to shoulder with their colleagues, executives taking this day out to focus on, you know, investing in their team. That I, I call it that authentic leadership when they are prepared to go and do a little bit of suffering Next to their next to their peers and and their team, and it's you know it's incredibly powerful. Those days really are some of the best days on Tour de Cure. So you mentioned a couple, or we've mentioned a few companies. So now TDC does corporate events for Combank, for Westpac, for Suncorp, Woolworths, Woolworths, EY. EY. Yep. Started to walk. Hello, Andrew. We'll make sure you get a, a copy of this as well. David LaRocca. Yes, they're the ones. But I think if you take it further, it's the Combank has seven walks or five walks around the country and a ride. Woolworths has two. And Westpac has oh, four Combank and run runs. Yes, yes. You know, the other side, you look at there's there's also a number of people that get involved around the world almost doing their own things. I've got a good mate, Callum, who um, had testicular cancer, survived that. Uh, a couple of years later, said, Jeff, I'm going to do your bike ride. He did that Sydney to Hobart. He was the one that actually brought the dysentery to it. So shout out to Callum. Um, but the. Do, do you think Callum is going to really love him? <laughs> he gave a whole group the shits. Wiz, would you like saying, Wizard gave us all the shits? <laughs> Thanks, Callum. Good on you, mate. But let's let's put Callum in a good light. Um, five years later, he said, Jeff, and he's a um, he's done seventeen Ironmans. There are ultra distance is his thing. And he said, Jeff, I'm going to swim the English Channel for Tour de Cure. And I, I said, Why? You know, actually, sorry, he said, I'm going to swim the English Channel. I said, Why? He said, For Tour de Cure. Fast forward eight months. He'd swum the English Channel, second fastest Kiwi to ever do it, raised $150,000 for Tour de Cure. And then he said, right, now I'm going to swim all seven oceans. At the end of that year, and he's planning, how's he going to do seven oceans? Executive living in Singapore, working in tech, you know, had had the influence to potentially pull it off. And then his wife, Sarah, got diagnosed with stage four lung cancer, never smoked a day in her life. So he's this, you know, crusader who's doing it for his own reason, having had testicular cancer. Suddenly, you know, five years later, Sarah's still with us and, and you know, showing, showing good signs with the drugs and that over those five years, they kind of said three to five's your max. You know, the, the, the progress in science and immunotherapy and the drugs that she's on now didn't exist 10, 15 years ago. So, I mean, that's, that's the progress. But Callum, as an example, that Tour de Rocks doing what they're doing, there's a number of groups that have seen Tour de Cure as a, a vessel to be able to say, hey, we're all part of this big, how do we cure cancer and change lives? And, and on that whole bit and that connection to cancer, and I know you're looking at with Stride for more than cancer, but we'll, we'll stick to, to that vision now. I met someone in the toilet earlier this week and your name popped up. That's a really weird intro, isn't it? Hey, Jeff, I was in the toilets and we're talking about you. Matt. Matt Weston. Yeah. Yes. Who Westy. is in this precinct where we filmed the podcast and where I work mm. at Work Inc. And he said, oh, you're mates with Jeff Coombs. I said, oh, that's loose term. I'm an associate. Got him on the podcast. I said, no, he's a good man, Jeffrey. 
So the connection with Matt, he said he just started writing with you as well. So I, I run into all these people that pop up because the network and cycling and walks and everything, it really does appeal to a, a different conversation. Oh, I met someone at the bank talking about you've just been given a bonus. Matt, good on you. But I met Matt on a bike ride who's now riding for a cause and a passion. And you were telling me a little bit about Matt's story that I didn't get in the toilet. And I'm like, okay, wow, now I get the passion and why he's so fond of you. Yeah. So Matt, Matt's a lovely guy, six foot five, gentle giant. He's a monster. Uh, sadly got his his... Um, son got dealt the the cancer card Christmas Eve uh, a year and a half ago, and you know looking at it going, gosh, my my son is you know really looking at a tough battle, supported by Children's Cancer Institute, the wonderful professors out there. Jacob is now on the other side of that and responded well to the to the chemotherapy and the immunotherapy, and probably was it now seven out of ten kids are are you know now able to be. An extension, not extension. Sorry, they're not cured, but they they certainly get a treatment regime, which is very different from twenty five years ago. Matt, I got introduced from a from another mate who said, "Oh, can you help this guy out? He wants to do a thousand kilometre ride." And I'm like, "All right, maybe he wants to join Tour de Cure." Um, call him up and English accent and oh yeah, thanks Jeff. Um, yeah, I want to do a um, a thousand kilometres in October for the Great Cycle Challenge, supporting kids' cancer. I don't own a bike. I haven't ridden. I don't have any of the gear. I understand you can help. <laughs> and that was kind of where it was. I think I had two weeks before I was going off overseas to, to go on a tour with some mates. And, you know, very quickly in the power of the community, we, we managed to, to help get him a bike. Angela Taranto was kind enough to be his, you know, almost his doppelganger in size. And suddenly he's on he's a, a big unit, a, Angela. Yeah, a, a large enough bike. Threw him some Tour de Cure kits. Um, and then because I was going away and I wasn't going to be there for the first two weeks, got him started. We did some rides and, gosh, falling over at traffic lights and, you know, all the things that happen and it almost still happen sometimes as a cyclist. But got him into it, gave him some skills and then wrapped our arms around him with a community of, um, to be honest, Tour de Cure mates and said, hey, this guy's doing this, great fella, can you help? And all of a sudden everyone was like, you know what, I'm, I'm in, I want to help, this is great. Um, Matt did the 1,050 kilometres, I think it was, in that month of October, um, buckled, you know, and but a superhuman effort, you know, riding so a thousand kilometres. I can't wait to see Matt and just give him a hug, have oh, a handshake, have a coffee phenomenal. with him. You know, his, his why was was evident. Every time he, he stepped over the bike or stood up after he fell was incredible. But, yeah, out of that has now grown this little group called the Creaky Wheels on the Northern Beaches, um, like-minded, wonderful people who are generous in supporting each other. And, and being a part of a small group that's, you know, rallying to, to be involved. How often do you do that, mate? Like how often do you get a phone call, get a text message? Because I, I, every time I speak to you, you're going to drop something to someone or I'm going to go and meet a man about a dog or a woman about a dog. And like in your week, how often would you have a conversation or reach out to help someone in need like that? Yeah, it happens a lot. I do a, I do a poker night every Tuesday night at my place. And it's just for a bunch of mates to, to come over. And it started with, you know, a bit of fun playing poker. None of us are any good, but we'll just enjoy it. Then it extended to, oh, let's let's bring a steak and we'll throw the barbecue on from six. Now probably six, eight, ten people show up with a steak, the chats beforehand. You know, it's it's become a, a Tuesday night ritual. And we're not trying to take away from family time, but the partners realise this is good for us. And so often we put the cards down and we'll just um, chat and understand what someone's going through and be a, a source of some, you know, support and knowledge and a reference, which 
yeah, it's it makes my Tuesdays feel great. Mm. Wiz, can you pass me my phone? I'm just going to check. Do, do I miss a text message? Can you just check? <laughs> has, has Jeff- <laughs> Tuesday nights. Tuesday nights with Maisie. I'd pick up the phone. Um, <laughs> mate, I missed it. No, oh, must must be next Tuesday, is it? You are most welcome, mate. You are very welcome. No, it's yeah. <laughs> I love winding you up. You've created a movement. You, I mean, the collective. Sure. Yeah. Tour de Cure. How do you do that? So someone's wanting to start a business. Let's say someone's listening to this and they've got a fitness business on the beaches somewhere in the suburbs out in the country and they want to create a movement. Uh, someone's got a podcast and they want to create a tribe of people that listen to the podcast and tell their friends about it. You create a movement. Someone who's got a message in politics. We'll talk in a moment about you and I in our attempts or our vision, <laughs> delusions of grandeur about joining politics. But the question how do you go about creating a movement? Have you narrowed down some of the key principles of it or have you just stumbled into it? No, look, I think the for me it's it's an authentic connection to why. You know, people you can't you can't be disingenuous and that consistency, you know, my poker night is every Tuesday night. Very rare that I'll that I'll that I'll that I'll that I'll deviate from it. The cycling in the early days, you know, five AM at Maisie's. You guaranteed someone was going to be there watching. There's so many groups forming at the moment. Um, the 440 Club down at Bondi Beach and Bronte. You know, I know the boys have done that. It's a great. great they are, we're going to get them on the podcast too. Yeah, but they're consistent and they are values led. And I think that's the part that uh, the movement comes from being genuine, being future focused, you know, supporting one another. You know, you're there for a, for a, a greater good. You know, we often kind of talked about that. You know, you, you attract like for like. And I think that's the part that with Tour de Cure especially, you know, we, we kept on attracting great people and they saw it as a group where they could invest and they felt comfortable and we acknowledged and, and embraced what they wanted to contribute. So I think that same sits across movements of people, you know, allowing people to bring their best and, and elevate even higher when they're lifted to more from others around them. Hi, it's Angela Poon. I'm thrilled to share some exciting news about the new venture Andrew and I have been working on together. Over the past five years, we've been managing two separate businesses, andrewmay.com and strivestronger.com, which has led to some confusion in the market. So to streamline our offerings and make it easier for our clients to engage with us, we've taken the best of both worlds through our learnings over the past few years, delivering large-scale programs to our corporate clients, and we have created the Performance Intelligence Academy. Based on invaluable feedback from our clients, this new offering provides a much clearer, scalable and more comprehensive solution. Now, our approach begins with an assessment of both the physical and psychological energy through our Live Life Score, as well as an evaluation of mental skills to establish a baseline through our Mental Skills Calculator. From there, our performance toolbox serves as a personal coach in your pocket, providing resources and tools to enhance well-being, boost productivity, and develop leadership capacity. In this toolbox, we have engaging micro-lessons on influencing, coaching, energy optimization, personal productivity, and mental resilience. Our platform offers access to engaging webinars, community pages for networking, and a wealth of templates and learning resources. In addition to our digital offerings, we also specialize in hosting engaging events, including keynote presentations and workshops featuring a diverse range of presenters to keep participants energized and engaged. If you're looking to elevate the productivity and well-being of your team, we invite you to reach out to us. 
Whilst our new website will be launching in the coming months, you can inquire for more information through andrewmay.com. Stay tuned for further updates. Exciting things are on the horizon. So watch this space. In a world of fake news, in a world of fake posts and driving numbers up on social media when people buy likes, the word that really jumps at me then is authentic. And this is authentic to you. It's authentic to your tribe. I like that. I think if you're choosing something you really believe in and you're authentic and then you put the group around it, and I'm trying to think, is the movement about belonging and connection? Is the movement about the opposite, which is loneliness and disconnection? Is the movement about doing good to others? Is the movement about a shared goal and working towards something and going through pain because, you know, strive, the, the Latin word is astrave, pushing through challenging times and coming out the other side. Is the movement a sense of accomplishment and achievement or is it everything? So it's actually hard it's to e, pinpoint all of the above. It's all, all of the above, without a doubt. You know, I think um, bringing people together is the first part, you know, giving them a reason to, to choose to come back, a sense of um, community around where the people are. You know, we at school we have all those opportunities, you know, maybe even into the early university days, but soon after, you know, our, our friendship circles sit around our kids and their parents, you know, maybe a couple of work colleagues. You know, post-COVID, it's even less. You know, people are stepping away from being as engaged. But give them give them a chance and and show them that there's so many benefits that come from it. You know, the the outcomes are beautiful. And loneliness as well. I know an area that you've really reached out, like your poker nights, there'd probably be a few guys in that group now nudging 55, which is still young, right? Multiple times I've said, we're going to get everyone to 100 plus if you listen to especially what Dr. Tom and I bang on about. But that age for men, often when kids have grown up, a lot of people separate or they may still be in a relationship. I think the worst thing for a lot of people is in a relationship and they're still lonely. So that connection for men and that men's health is so important. Yours and my relationship has changed heaps. How do you think it has? How have have our conversations changed? Oh, look, I think our conversations... Actually, probably shouldn't talk about some of those early conversations that we used to have. <laughs> it's got a PG rating you, podcast. You can, that, that's can, when we were both, that no, we like it any more authentic. People can use their imaginations. I think that is is just thinking back to Adelaide. <laughs> I'm forever grateful. <laughs> um, good times. We're both, good we were both single. Um, we'd both been through marriage breakdowns, and we were both really struggling. Yeah, but. What, what I feel our, our, our relationship has changed, it's authentic. Yeah. Now, when I first met you, I just got coomed. Yeah, and, and getting coomed, anyone who's done one of the events in the old days, the big fella here would have a crack at you for the wrong socks, the wrong helmet strap and everything else, and, and you've softened a little bit. What I've enjoyed is we have real conversations now about highs and the lows, the ups and the downs, and, and that's for men and women. I think it's really important you have people in your life you can do that with. I would absolutely attest to the cure as teaching me the value of really deep relationships. You know, and you're spending a lot of time with people. And I think the beauty of being on a bike is you don't actually have to look eye to eye. So, so many of those conversations that, you know, whether you're walking or riding, you know, you're able to let your shoulders down. And in a car, because I've got a lot of parents will say this about their kids. So, uh, 
Walking and cycling, I prefer because you're actually moving, and there's some research on that to show that it does open our emotions up or that emotional connection a little bit more. But yeah, when you're not eyeballing someone, I don't do that with my son. Don't sit opposite him. You know, we'll go for a walk again in the car is really good, but getting those genuine friendships and and seeing how they contribute to your life and and realizing that you know they aren't hard, they're not far away. And when you find that group of people, I've got a, a probably three or four different groups that. I so love spending time with them, but to the expense of not having all these other ones that didn't feel like they're my tribe. So yeah, finding finding the groups of people, and if you enjoy the sport or the the occasions that you catch up in, you know it makes it makes the weeks go by. And when they're you know confident and wise, as so many of my friends are, all of a sudden you know you're solving problems that you know may have held you back. And, and I think that's a part of, you know, life is we're always going to be challenged with problems. How we deal with them and who we deal with them with are, are key to being able to, to get through it. And being comfortable. So I reckon 15 years ago when we met, there's no way I would have told you about problems. There's no way you would have told me about challenges. How you go, yeah, good, mate. Yeah, yeah, everything's going great. It would have been bravado. I, I see you so much more authentic now. I see you so much more comfortable with who you are now. And, and I see the flex. So when you're running an event, you still got to be big dog, right? Big Coombs gets in there and sort of marks his territory. And you, you have to do that when you've got a group, especially new people, to give some discipline. But I love seeing that other side of you. I, I, I get the most joy out of seeing others connect. You know, when and, – and those Tuesday night pokers and, and some – You keep sh- rubbing it in, mate. <laughs> shy, shy people that – you know, the warm embrace, the familiarity, that sense of this is really good for me. And I think that's what I want more people to find. And loneliness is such a big challenge at the moment. Three in five Australians are identifying as being lonely. You know, that's that's that's, that's a that's lot of- big stats. Imagine that as, you know, look at your friend network and think that there are three in five people who would identify that way. So what can we do that changes that? What do we do in a in an organisational structure that allows businesses to foster stronger relationships? Relationships. I've seen one of the groups you're involved in as well. I'm very proud of this because I was banging on at you for years about get off the bike and actually do some lifting. So you've got a group that you do circuit training with and I saw you take a friendly pot shot slash bagging. I saw the affection in it in me on social media that you do a regular <laughs> resistance training session. <laughs> I haven't been as regular the last couple of weeks. But yeah, again, you know, I think one of the things our relationship has continues to do is you build out what we need to do as ageing gentlemen you know and yes that strength and vitality that comes from not being sedentary choosing to you know lift and you know maintain your strength you know reading um david atia peter atia's outlive yeah yeah but maintain the body and and invest in it i gave up drinking a couple of months ago probably eight months ago now can't believe the difference that it makes you know i've had a couple of nights where i've had a few the sleep is is ruined. It's, it is so it's sad how much difference. better you feel oh. when you don't drink. Yeah. And like, I don't drink during the week to, to pump out the work I do. And just to be on my game, you know, athletes, clients I work with, if I have a bad day, like, I can give them some advice that's going to impact the way they perform. So yeah, a while back I cut it out. still have one or two quiet ones on the weekend, but it makes a massive, massive difference. I, I would you know honestly say during COVID and, and the best part of the last 15 years – 
having a glass of wine or three a night was a go-to, you know, and it was dealing with you issues. Were, you were piss fed. I can remember on the last can for cancer we did, it was the second night and I was wrecked because I hadn't been doing much cycling. You said, amazing, when I read wine, I had one red. You drank it like it was Gatorade and then you had another one from me. I, I felt like I had to go and lie down, so yeah. No, I think it's, it's definitely for me been a real eye-opener. And again, not saying that there's anything wrong with having a drink, but I was definitely a one to three glasses a night for the best part of 15 years. And that's not healthy. That's not good. That doesn't see you perform, you know, realising that alcohol is a depressant. And, you know, we, we choose to take a depressant and then wake up the next morning and wonder why we don't feel great. And we do it again to not feel as worse as we just felt. Anyone listening to this who's going, oh, God, get off your hobby horse, guys, just try it. Try not drinking on school nights and then you'll realise a couple of things. One, and I went through a period as well in that period I was saying that you and I had a bit of collective fun when we were both single, um, but I was drinking way too much, way too much. And you look back and just realise it was a crutch because I was sad and you know, masking emotions and wasn't really confronting some of the problems. But if you have a drink every single night, just try it for a couple of weeks and still have a few on the weekend, but you will feel so much better. The research shows, depending on your metabolism, the way you metabolize alcohol, your size, and there is a bit of a genetic predisposition, but any more than one or two glasses of wine the following morning, you will be in a state of being hungover and it will do you damage, damage to cognition, damage to metabolism, uh, all bodily functions. If you don't believe me, just try going off it a little bit, see how you feel couple of weeks and you will be blown away with the clarity, with the energy, with your sleep. You know, big, big one for me is watching the, the sleep scores after having alcohol. You know, very little deep sleep, almost no REM sleep. The minute you're not, you know, your body's recharging. Your body needs that thing. And yeah, it's an easy vice to, to feel that it's the, the way to cope. But on the flip side, once you get on the other side of it, it's like now it's way easier to cope. Mm. What do you think, Wiz? Have we, have we sold the benefits of people going alcohol-free during the week, or do you reckon I've totally lost the young audience? Maybe to others, not to me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's just close out um, on the strength training, why that's so important. And I, I say this with TDC crowds to stir them up a little bit. I love cycling, but if you do too much cycling, you look like you need a cuddle, a blanket, and a cup of hop suit. Like you, you almost look homeless because you get all this wastage of muscle. So... Do the cardio, but do some resistance running as well. We've been talking about purpose ever since we turned the microphones on. Let me give you some of the research or the background around purpose, and then you can fill in how that works for you. When I'm teaching a group about purpose, I will say having a clearly articulated purpose as an individual is amazing because number one, you will live longer. Yeah? Two, you will make more money. Three, you will bounce back from resilience faster. It then goes deeper. When you look at a purpose, it needs to be at least three components. Number one, a purpose needs to be bigger than you. Number two, a purpose needs to be future focused. And number three, a purpose needs to excite the living freaking daylights out of you. You are Spot totally on. on purpose. Yeah, I think I was, uh, you know, I don't know if I was lucky, but I I've absolutely feel blessed to have found it, you know, and chasing it with all my being. <clears throat> I think it's it's something that everyone can find and everyone's purpose is different you know you could be a great parent you could be a great sports coach you could be invested in causes so purpose doesn't necessarily mean finding the cause that you're going to support but finding something you are so damn passionate about and believe you can contribute to and again that future focus as you said what can i do that's going to help it 
yeah, I think it's it's such a blessing to have found. Give you some research, both for Tour de Cure and for your new business, Stride For. Anyone listening to this who wants to have a purpose-led initiative, you know where to go. Research shows purpose-oriented companies have higher productivity and growth rates, along with a more satisfied workforce who stay longer with them. That's called retention. Deloitte research shows companies that have employees connected to a purpose have 30% higher levels of innovation and 40% higher levels of workforce retention. Do you want any more research? Yes, you do. A global study reveals consumers are four to six times more likely to purchase, trust, protect, and champion purpose-driven companies. Did you get that off my website? Where did you get that from? I don't know where we got that from. <laughs> Luba got me that research. Spot is on. that on your website? There's, there's lots of that on the website. And it is. And, and for organizations, the benefits are, you know, everywhere. So I think the, the wellness and the support of their staff is huge. Certainly that retention and absenteeism is is massive but within a workforce it's really if you've got you know take combank 40,000 staff you know their their sense of connection to purpose as you said and it's in a biggest other community initiative now and now they've actually got a whole team internally hello nathan hello sally sally rods working on that at the moment they're really picking that up and driving it internally so that that's become a huge part of their organization Look, the, the young millennials, they want to work for an organisation that they can share their vision around how they contribute to a better world, to a cause that they're passionate about. So, you know, there's there's so many benefits. Lots of companies are starting to invest a lot I'm more too busy. It. I'm hearing all this stuff. The guy with the shiny head and the good-looking rooster named Coombe said, yeah, look, I'll do this for my organisation. He or she says, no, because the research shows Three quarters, in fact, 77% of consumers believe a company's leader also needs to embody their brand purpose and mission in their personal life. So I love seeing this research from reputable sources showing all the stuff that you and I get really passionate about and the stuff that we do that's intertwined in our lives and you know, put our partners sometime at wit's end. You really have to, yes, it's all part of what we're doing. There's a connection. So if, if a leader is listening to this and thinking, I'll outsource that to HR, to people, to group, no. And it doesn't mean you have to turn your life upside down and be someone you're not, but be authentic. Find something you love. Find something that is bigger than you, excites the living daylights out of you and is future focused, and it's a much better place to be. I think when a leader is vulnerable in that regard as well, like that just takes the authenticity to the next level as they share that journey with someone. It's funny, I was just thinking back to early days and probably – 10 years ago, we had a number of senior executives who were investing in Tour de Cure. When there was restructures, interestingly, they were the ones that either moved or were moved on. And you look at it now, I'd say it's completely changed that they're the ones that a business should look at and go, you're going to keep our business moving forward. You're the one that are harnessing these collective groups within the organisation, you know, they're the ones that a business needs to look for. Ground, you're the ones that are going to lead our community into the future. It's huge. Would be very remiss of me, Cougar, to not ask you the why question. So we've spoken about purpose and all the benefits of purpose, spoken about the great job that you've done with TDC and now shifting to stride for. This has been rattling around in my head, though. What's your purpose? Yeah, good question, mate. I think years of doing Tour de Cure the joy that I get out of helping people find their tribe and and me internally finding my tribe as well, that's led me to go, this is what I want to do. This is where I feel I can contribute. This is, you know, if we all have a little superpower, bringing people together, like-minded, united behind a cause, you know, I think that's that's a really important part of 
connecting with people at that truest level. And as you said, you know, something that's bigger than me, the, the community that gets behind a cause, it's phenomenal. So for me, engaging people in that and helping people find their purpose, that's my purpose. Going to get a bit deeper with you now. I've been trying to think about this and even what you've told me today about growing up in an expat community. You went to boarding school. I did. Does that drive a lot of it? Do you look back at school? Did you ever feel like you weren't connected, even though you, you know, obviously moved around to different places? Yeah, I was in boarding school and I was in the international house and didn't, you know, you were certainly in a closed group, um, had good mates and obviously sport was a was a great chance to, you know, extend those friendships in, in rugby and cricket and athletics. But no, I don't, I don't think the schooling part, you know, I, I came away at the end of school desperate to travel and desperate to not be locked into something for a couple of years. So that transient lifestyle that mum and dad are given and a lot of the the mates from school, you know, they stayed in the same circles, they they did their study, but you know, they still lived and they went to the sheaf and the oaks and it was it didn't change. And I was like, I can't do that. Like I want to go and live somewhere different. I want to explore. I'm I'm ready to travel. So yeah, for that reason, at the end of school, and I've got a couple of great mates from school, but I wouldn't say I've got that school fraternity. But you know, reflect on school with you know great fondness for what it gave me, and the opportunity to you know the boarding environment was suddenly you know a hundred brothers, which you know I got one sister, love her dearly, but you know it's a different environment when you're on campus. You know, all the facilities that are there, great school, beautiful surrounds and, you know, a, a privilege for sure. Yeah, I was wondering, I often say this to people in speaking when they want some advice or, you know, come to the older guy and say, hey, I'm starting a speaking business, what should I teach? I've said this dozens of times. I think you teach what you're good at and you teach what you've stuffed up along the way. So if I look at my story around performance and well-being and psychology, it's a blend of both. So yeah, I was curious, did you not have purpose and connection growing up and you're chasing it or did you really have it and you want other people to have more of it? No, look, I, I think I fell into it. And if I got to a point in my life where I was going, you know, I feel like I want to give back and I felt like I could contribute, but it wasn't something that mum and dad had, had instilled in me. And certainly I don't think it really came from school as a, as a culture piece, but that's um, involved with a few groups that people were saying, you know, come and do this walk, come and shave your head, come and grow your mow. And that feeling of belonging, that um, sense of community, community around why you were doing it and the pride I think that came from people seeing you in a different light and and being able to you know say that this is this means a lot to me and I'd love your support and I think always being a good fundraiser an ambitious fundraiser so taking that opportunity not just to to raise a little bit of money but actually you know prove that you can do a lot and I think that kind of stems back to years before kind of feeling a bit like people would judge you in the wrong way and then it's the minute you're doing things with that humility for a cause, it felt like, okay, now people see me. Now people see that I'm genuine and see that I'm committed to things for the right reasons instead of perhaps judging you a little bit too quickly because you might, you know, carry a confidence and a swagger that, you know, let's be honest, it's probably a little bit of bravado, you know, trying to, to you know, look like you're more confident than you are. But people would take it, you know, in some cases with that, oh, he's a little bit arrogant. And the minute... I found giving to others and being selfless to help others for a very genuine reason just felt, you know, felt like I could and I wanted to. Then all of a sudden those, that um, perception of arrogance blew away and that 
that made me stand two feet taller and, and feel a lot more personal pride in what I was doing. And then when you build something like Tour de Cure, the momentum and that connection to so many good people and those people that kept on investing in me, investing in Tour de Cure, investing in the community, in the idea, and those, you know, every couple of years we'd evolve and, and who was coming on the journey with us and they shared the vision and the culture and the values. And that's, you know, that just gives you an incredible sense of pride. Can we rewind about 90 seconds ago? What could you feel in the room? What was different? Uh, I, haven't, I haven't experienced that with you in a, in a podcast or phone setting. I've had it with you on a bike. What changed in the room? Uh, look, I think there's some things you don't openly share a lot. You know, there was there was a window of time and, you know, what was I, 28 to 32 I was working for a, for a good mate's company and yeah, I had a lot of older people that I was um, managing and that ability to, you know, be authentic as a leader, it didn't, it wasn't there. You know, I didn't have it. I wasn't coming from a, you know, 10 year career beforehand to feel like I, I kind of got thrust into a few positions that I did feel like I was, you know, bluffing it, faking it till you make it, trying oh, to- Oh, fake it till <laughs> wizard, he said the term, but before I jump down that rabbit hole, what- what I felt is a shift in energy and you really opening up. You know, people thought you were arrogant. People thought you were you know, maybe a bit ahead of yourself. You're rocking, you're the big rooster coming in. Who's this guy? And, and for a lot of people listening to this, it's that whole imposter syndrome. You're given a title and then you're like, okay, woohoo, that's great. And then you go away and go, I'm not ready for this. Like, do they really know? I haven't got my shit together. I don't have experience on all this. I had very similar. So one, I appreciate you saying that and being so open around it, authentic, because a lot of people listening to this as well, we've got our demographics, a lot of younger people listen to this as well. So if you are in your 20s or 30s, hey, not everyone has their shit together in that period. And and if I had my time back, and I'm sure you do similar, I'd go to some wiser people, not necessarily older, wiser, and say, can you please give me your counsel? You look like you've got your shoes together. What could I learn about that? I did very similar. Can you imagine me at 31, 32, similar sort of personality and energy levels, managing doctors when the business I was in, healthy business got acquired by Executive Health Solutions. So I'm in there telling doctors what to do in their business, went down like a lead balloon. And why? I thought, shit, I've got to be someone. I bought a suit did the big tie up again as well. And I must have been such a dick for some of those doctors who are 55, 60 with all this knowledge. So yeah, if I went back, I'd stick my hand up and say, hey, I don't really know this. Can you help me? I think a good leader should be encouraging everyone who's starting out in their career to seek out those mentors and the people who they share the same vision on how to be that sort of a leader. Encourage them to learn, encourage them to ask, to, to spend time with them. You know, so many people want to help. And that's probably the thing that I've seen with Tour de Cure is the amount of people that wanted to invest in the idea, bring the best part of themselves into the equation. And in turn, we all become so much better for it. So great people becoming even better through the process. But as a young leader, absolutely, you know, I encourage that 100%. Find someone that you, you role model. And I discourage, I'm going back to my <laughs> hobby horse, that fake it till you make it. I hate that because what it implies is be a non-authentic, really elevated version of yourself. And if you're an introvert, which a lot of people are, introversion meaning you draw energy, being by yourself, then you try and be someone you're not. There's a, such a disconnect. So rather than fake it till you make it, stick your hand up, <laughs> ask questions, build yeah. confidence. Confidence True. is doing the work and getting some miles in the bank 
and then backing yourself. And there's a real difference between faking it. Can I get off the hobby horse now as well? I just I, a lot of people I, I hear, even athletes, oh, I was out there, I'm faking it. No, no, don't fake it. That just sets you up for falling in a big heap. Spot on, man. Encourage people to be their true self. And I think that's the part that I feel now. Like my, my purpose is helping other people to find their purpose. And that's, you know, that gets me out of bed. That gets me, you know, pushing through the tough times. And when you see the results, and if it's one person or a group of people, an organization, a charity that's the beneficiary, you know, the the benefits are immense. Mic drop. That was awesome. There's a huge shift in energy, a big drop and like not in bad drop but I, I, I could feel uh, it in your voice you never I, you know it doesn't come up in conversation it's not something you openly share it doesn't you know there's there's a um, you're scared I think to have you spoken about this before not that, not that, for, that not for a long source? time no oh, yeah. and I think trying to understand the why is it that people perceive you as arrogant at the time but again not mature enough to really understand the feedback that you're getting um, and then, yeah, when building something like Tour de Cure and, and that sense of vision to a much bigger thing that isn't aligned to someone's pay packet or, you know, the impact of a, of a business's bottom line, you know, that, that resonated. When you had your sabbatical, we had a conversation in that period. I was on the Gold Coast and you were talking to a political party. <laughs> And I told you at that stage, oh, I'm really interested. So we had a bit of a chat about what your pitch could be. And I shared the story that when I was way back in Tasmania many years ago, Peter McKay was the health minister and Pete lost 20, 25 kilos actually. And I was training him. I should have said yes. He wanted me to run in the liberal seat of Lions. I was 26 at that stage thinking about arming R and this is the days before they brought in the changes where you started at a really good wage and I think you got that wage for the next 20 or 30 years so I could be cleaning up mate the young woman that did go for that ended up being successful so I had one of those moments oh I should have could have would have done it but it wasn't right for me at that time but you were looking at going into politics Man, I don't know if I was looking at it, but I got a tap on the shoulder. Yeah. yeah. So as I stepped away from TDC, needed a break, decompressed and, and took some, you know, that sabbatical of time just to really understand where am I at. Nearing 50, you know, that, I wouldn't call it a midlife crisis, but that feeling of, okay, how do I reset where I'm at? And tapped on the shoulder to run as a teal in the, as an independent over on the Northern Beaches. And looked at it to the point of even putting my name, you know, registering as a thing, building campaigns, understanding the fundraising, you know, starting to sweet talk a couple of people who might be interested in helping fund it, very serious about getting behind it. And I think what it showed me was that as much as I'd spent so much time with Tour de Cure, getting on behalf of causes that mattered still lit my fire. You know, and, and I didn't end up running in the end. The the local mayor of Manly, Michael Regan, I learned was also going to run as an independent in the same seat. You know, two independents running typically cannibalise each other's vote. He's a seasoned politician. I wasn't going to run for second or third. So, yeah, stepped away. Congrats, he won and, and will do a good job. But it's, it certainly opened my eyes to, yeah, I'm, I'm here on this earth to connect people behind helping their causes. And that was a good Let, Let's good put a pin in the calendar. Maybe we do that in our next decade. But after you had your <laughs> break, you got tapped on the shoulder, explored it, didn't do it. You looked at something else to stride for. That's it. Yeah. So. See what I did there. I like that. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, you just spell it right with a Y. With a Y. Yeah. So, so your new business, Stride for. Stride for, yeah. Designed around connecting communities aligned to purpose and health. So it's it's pretty simple. He's on brand, ladies and gents. If if you want to do some due diligence, rewind, listen to where we are as well. I mentioned that range. You're exactly where you need to be. So the yeah. nomad that travelled around the world and learnt personal skills into communication skills and then worked for a bunch of organisations and did branding and marketing and then travelled the world backpacking two and a half years, decided to jump on a bike. It's easier from east to west, so we chose the right path or did you choose the wrong path? West, west to east is the prevailing wind, so if you are choosing to cycle across America, start, on the, start on the west coast. Yep. And then you had a coffee with Sam and Gary Burtwistle and started a cause and thought, hey, wouldn't it be great if we could raise a couple of million in four years and then 120 plus million dollars later, how many breakthroughs as well? Research breakthroughs? 150. 150 150 scientific cancer breakthroughs. Can you actually explain a breakthrough? Because up until recently, like I'd always heard this and I didn't even really know what it was. But when I found out what it was, I was like, oh, I get it. Yeah, breakthrough is when it's a peer-reviewed journal in the world's leading science journals around the scientific breakthroughs based around cancer. So it needs to be at the top level, be peer-reviewed and acknowledged as proven to the progress of cancer treatment. In 17 years, driving millions of dollars to fund breakthroughs, and then you've gone, right, I'm going to do something different. It's funny, I you know, if I go back... Shave your head, grow your mo. you know, things that you do now all the time. I shave my head because there's no other option, buddy. But it was cancer. But then all those years, you know, for, for a lot of people, it's very personal. I remember everyone would ask, oh, why'd you do it? Have you had cancer? Have you lost a loved one? And it still hasn't. You know, I'm very lucky. I haven't been personally touched. I've lost good friends who I've met through Tour de Cure to cancer. But cancer was always a cause. And often, you know, I'd probably say four or five times a year, I'd have people introduce me to other people who wanted to start their own charity or were looking at how could Tour de Cure or what we did give them some ideas in their own cause. And I used to love hearing people and their passion behind mental health, environment, families, disability. So as I stepped back from Tour de Cure and that political mindset that went, I want to help, what am I good at? So often the other charities would be commenting on how great Tour de Cure's corporate relationships were and how wonderful it would be to have the portfolio of events that people could come and take part in. So as you step back and go, well, why can't we create a platform that charities can take part in that level of event, build the corporate engagement that makes the brands go, this is how I can relate and support and, you know, to the calibre of the the senior executives that need to know that you can build events that are safe and, and well managed for their people. And then host host these relationships and collaboration across the charity sector to build towards, right, let's raise $2 million in 2024 across six different charity sectors. So mental health, cancer, so that's, the, that's the goal. That's the goal. That's the goal. Can, so, I, just, can I pause on that? Because the young rooster going way back in a coffee shop going, oh, we could raise a couple of million in four. So you, you've upped the stakes. Does that does that feel totally achievable? Two million dollars in the first doubt. year? Yeah. And and look, they're, they're not small numbers, not by any means. You need a lot of people to achieve that. And you need a lot of people that are ambitious and passionate and, and you've driven. got some runs on the board. Yeah. But to create something that they all can see the value in being involved with, you know, so the, the model will invite charities that are involved in mental health, cancer, disability, uh, families, Indigenous and the environment, 
the the suite that is you know most corporates have a relationship across those six different sectors but build a platform that people can come and represent and they'll have the support of their organization they'll be you know passionate about the cause because it relates to them they'll be able to contribute through health you know taking part in a, in a walk or a, an ocean paddle or other events that will create um, but again put a community around them of like-minded people and the beauty of stride is that you'll have people who are wonderful ambassadors on behalf of gotcha for life or can assist or cerebral palsy or starlight foundation so you imagine the the harnessing of these wonderful people who are taking this opportunity to come together the big part for me is realizing impact so we'll have a number of high impact projects that the charities are nominating that our small community get to fundraise for so really tying in the impact that one person's ambition their efforts their network to be able to achieve and then yeah we'll we'll celebrate 30 40 50 high impact projects a couple of million dollars a few thousand people but a few thousand people around australia so that's two the, questions and an observation so question number one two million in year one what does it look like growing in year two three four maybe oh uh, my eyes are always bigger than my belly like I, i've got big dreams of where stride has uh, events around the country and relationships with corporates and charities that see their people want to take part in those events and those events will be different you know there i want to bring a sense of magic to a charity walk that's you know you're not just wearing the shirt and ringing the bell you're taking part in a scavenger hunt you're swimming in the ocean pools you're doing obstacle courses so those things that are team building playful disposition yeah, yeah yeah and you know for me the events are going to be during the week so most charity events tend to run on a weekend for for very obvious reasons, but I want to challenge that. I want the businesses to recognise that this is their chance to invest in their people, give them that day, you know, the Thursday to come and take part, represent their organisation, represent their chosen cause. You know, they are physically taking part in something. They will have a six-week training program. They'll have healthy catch-ups twice a week with their colleagues to come and work towards some, you know, stronger health goals around it. And together we're going to fundraise a shitload of money. I could be forgiven for thinking you've got the formula for creating a tribe. I hope so. Yeah, I think, and, and the beauty of it will be because Stride sits with all charities at the, at the heart of what we do. You know, we're agnostic to the cause, but investing in good people, wanting to find a group of people, wanting to be involved to deliver outcomes and giving them a playful, you know, very inclusive way of doing it. Question number two, who else is doing this either in Australia or on a global basis? Yeah, good question. Look, the JP Morgan Chase would be something similar, you know, represent your business, go for a run around Centennial Park. No one that I can find is quite aligned to purpose, you know, outcomes. The City to Surf, you know, they had 86,000 people, 17,000 registered fundraisers. Um, they raised $3 million. You know, that's, that's, that's not driven around purpose and nor should it be you know it's a beautiful day it's all about community i want a horrible hill <laughs> it's a tough hill <laughs> beautiful day horrible hill but i want to change that i want people to you know be invited and, and engage their organization to take a day that is great for their mental health their physical health their community building and contribute you know and that's where you know all the years with tour de cure and the woolies on wheels and the can for cancer and westpac rides like that's exactly what it is but it's, the beauty is that it's going to allow people to unite behind multiple causes. And that's, that's where strides will be different. My observation, and I hope for you, my good friend, that this is on the money, but my observation is people are crying out to connect. A lot of people work. 
it just seems an obvious fit. And go to work and then find a purpose that's bigger than you, that's future focused, and excites you, leaving daylights out of you. And the model you've got, I was going to almost say it's a disruption model because all other charities tend to focus on one area. Can you actually call in this sector a disruption model? Or maybe it's the open-minded growth mindset evolution model is let's appeal to a whole bunch of different charities and you know, connect rather than necessarily compete. Collaboration is that, that word that underpins exactly what I'm trying to do. And it's not, it's not often done. And that's something which I remember all the times at Tour de Cure thinking, why, why aren't all the cancer charities uniting behind this? You know, there should be ways that we all come together. We're all great people committed to our cause. You know, it's not a, it's not a competitive landscape. It's, it's lifting each other up to be the best versions of ourselves. So I think yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to see that collaboration and uniting of multiple causes delivering purpose and impact. And people listening, look in your calendar – October 24, make a note, the inaugural Stride for Challenge. I'm coming. Love it. 24th of October, 2024. So that will be the inaugural Stride for Day. It's a stunning 21-kilometre walk from Bondi Beach to La Perouse. 90% coastal, you know, there'll be ocean pools and obstacle courses and maybe a little bit of lawn bowls, uh, fantastic lunch to celebrate at the end at La Perouse. Um, such a powerful day all around people representing their their tribe, you know, and their tribe can be their community, their corporate community. But come and, come and represent your cause, come and help us raise $2 million. I think we can raise five or six million. That's the power of Stride. It'll, it'll blow those numbers away. It's in my calendar, Jeffrey, the 24th of October, 2024. It's in my calendar, but I have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> so can you tell me, let alone our listeners, what, what are we doing? Mate, it's the inaugural Stride For Day, the day we get to stride for the causes that matter to us. So you will be dressed in some Stride For kits. You'll be amongst probably four to 6,000 other people. Um, we've got a 21-kilometre walk from Bondi to La Perouse. It's not just a walk. It's a um, team's challenge, scavenger hunts, swimming in the ocean pools. You can get your shirt off, as we know you love to do. <laughs> There'll be, you know, obstacle courses. <laughs> Wait, why are you laughing so much? Come on, you're meant to be on my team, champ. <laughs> but it's a, it's a day all about connecting with your community. So depending on which charity you want to get behind, be it in mental health, cancer, Indigenous, families, disability, the environment, but we'll raise some good funds. We'll take part in a day that's incredibly uplifting and the day is inspiring the impact that we can have. So each of our charity partners have nominated some high impact projects that we're going to bring to life and the day will be a festival. It'll be a, a, a brilliant day. If you want to jump in an ocean kayak, we've got some uh, an opportunity to do an ocean kayak from Clovelly Beach down to La Perouse. So a couple of thousand people on the beautiful scenic coastline taking in the challenges, um, team challenges, as I said, um, swimming in the ocean pools, which I can't wait to see. Uh, whales frolicking off the shore, ocean paddlers meeting us all down at La Perouse, entertainment and um, lots of things that will make it a really special day and a perfect day for people to come and do with their colleagues. So bring your team, come and challenge yourselves and, and do it for a good cause. Sounds like a healthier, non-debaucherous version of Burning Man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, not sure the end end party is quite going to have that that same. <laughs> for, for people, if you can watch this on YouTube, you can see Jeff's reaction. You just 
Catherine, what? No, I haven't, had, I haven't had that association before. No, it'll, it'll be a day that people will Fun, it's play. It's, it's what we were speaking about before. You know, we're missing play. Hey, good timing as well because in October, that's the off-season for NRL and Rugby Union. So I'm going to get a couple of players to come along as well. May not uh, give you confirmation that they'll do the half marathon, but let's get a couple of athletes along to help you at different parts. Everyone's everyone's welcome. You know the registration is is not too expensive, but it's designed to make that a hundred percent of the funds that we raise on the day go to our causes. So my mission is to raise a couple of million dollars in twenty twenty four, bring some incredible projects to life, but do it in a way that the charities get 100% of the funds. So you got a videographer to capture the day? We will have it all captured. So many stories to tell, you know, people's personal journey towards health. Yes, Wizard might be, uh, you know, donning some lycra and trying to keep up with Maisie when he's in the pool. <laughs> yeah, we, we, Wiz will make, come along as well. If we can help or Wiz can help with some of the graphics and footage. So we've got a really big visual on that. Sounds fun. It'll be a great day. You know, Sydney weather will turn it on. We'll enjoy the sunshine. And I can't wait for a couple of thousand people who are passionate about their cause, united behind health, you know, investing in each other and the outcomes that we can bring to life. And then Stride 4 will have a series of these events that people and organisations can get their people to take part in for years to come. Sounds great. Bit of a walk and talk, coffee with your friends. Can't, I'm going to jump on the ski, absolutely, and I uh, might take the top off and do an ocean swim as well. There we go. Well, you got Bonnie Hancock to uh, to lead you on the ski and Drew Jin. And thank you for the intro to Bonnie. We're going to get Bonnie on the podcast as well. She has literally paddled in a surf ski around Australia. Crazy. 12,500 kilometres. Big Drew... Gene as well. We've had Drewy on the podcast, a weapon, Drew yep. on the bike. Jake, and Bailey's, on the Jake Bailey's going to be there in the walk. So, ah. yeah, a lot of, lot of great people, you know, incredible athletes, but just stand-up people coming to join and more and more welcome. So let, let us know, like, you know, when I'll be there, um, how we can help behind the scenes with whether it's athletes or a few other people to help you know, draw the masses. We're going to launch on, on Channel 7 Sunrise from Bondi Beach. So it'll, it'll be a show. You wait and see. You don't do things in halves, do you? No, no. It'll look good. <laughs> You're really good at creating a tribe. You're really good at looking after others. You're really good at finding passionate people and putting them in a room and elevating and giving back to other people. What are you not good at, Jeffrey? Heaps. Heaps and heaps and heaps. You know, I am, you know, blue oh, sky. You know where I'm going. Blue sky. Blue sky vision and, and, yeah, the devil in the detail. Not all that. What are you not good at? So you, you just follow the thread. Everything we've spoken about so far is for who? Wiz, everything that Jeff has spoken about today is for... Oh, helping what? others. Helping help others. Myself. Yeah. What are you not great at? Oh, I'm, I am helping myself through all of this. This is well and truly topping me up. You know, if I look back on 20 years with Tour de Cure, the people who I consider close friends now... You know, it's an absolute privilege. Like I'm going to have to spoon food. You're, you're really shit at putting yourself forward to do what you do really well, which is keynote presentation. I, I could not have said that. It's like there's <laughs> really? the soft. I ball, didn't see that as there's the, the tea. There's the. We didn't hey, see that. Just swing, no Jeff. Just swing. If you're listening to this, and if you're not moved by Jeff and his story, he is now doing keynote presentations because of two reasons. What are the two reasons you're doing keynotes, Jeff? Oh, Maisie, I want more people to to find that connection to their why. You know, that's the second one is because I said you're an idiot, not telling people your amazing story and charging for it because you have raised 
millions, hundreds of millions of dollars for other people and other causes. I want to see some people who are listening to this right now going, yeah, I'm inspired. I love the purpose message. Wow, there really is a combination. I think you've got to do something on that down the track, how to make a tribe. I can see five or six things. I'll help you with a model and we can look at, oh, wow, that looks so scientific now. You've got a keynote or you've got a couple of keynotes. Tell everyone about your keynote. Yeah, look, it's called the ripple effect and it, it goes to the heart of what we're all looking for especially at later stages in our lives. But at, at whatever time you find it, whether you're a student and you're lucky enough to, to have a, a, a handle on where your life is going to go, but helping people find their why, whether that sits in a, in a corporate environment, in your community, in your family. So building out the, the rationale around how people can take those steps towards finding it um, and then giving people lots of opportunities to elevate and and build their own legacy. And I think that's an interesting one for people to look at. And it, as I said, it doesn't have to be raising hundreds of millions of dollars. It can be, you know, a wonderful volunteer through a cause that you want to get involved with. There's three collective groups of listeners I can think of that need to book you and, and book Jeff over me. Like I, I've had enough bookings over the years. I'll be okay. Book this man. If you're an executive listening to this and you need some coaching because you've been all about external, extrinsic, and you haven't really linked it to purpose, get Jeff to coach you for three months, a couple of coffee shop conversations, he'll probably drag you on a bike, go for a walk, maybe even swim, but book him to coach you. Same executive, if you're wanting to do some work at your next executive offsite, book Jeff. He can come and talk about the ripple effect with a wonderful, compelling story, but more so research to back it up. And then he can even give you a cause, an outlet to participate in. Lots of tools to help. That's, that's Third the Third one, anyone who runs a team and has a conference, book him. Now, I would never promote myself this much. <laughs> it's called <laughs> it's gratuitous. Sound a bit. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. You have made such an impact to thousands of people and raised millions of dollars. I want to see people book you because it's a freaking good story. And it's really, really important because the counterbalance on this, or this counterbalance is loneliness, disconnection, fatigue. A lot of the way we're working post-COVID burnout, ripple effect is an antidote to all of that. I'm, not, I'm just getting started. I think that's Amazing. the best promotion I've ever done on this podcast, Wiz. <laughs> Any more than that will probably be uh, yeah, everyone's like, hold on, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> Do we need to have a little thing which says this broadcast no, being proudly paid for? I'm genuine. I, I want to see you get out there on a platform and actually make some money for you from the keynotes, not from the events you're running, wonderful events, because you've got three gorgeous kids and a loving partner, Hello, Kaz, and I want you to look after them too, mate. Thank you. We've covered a lot. We have. Yeah, we've done the evolution of Young Coombs. We've done T2C and how that started. We've spoken about the ingredients, and I think there's some stuff you can really look at on that, on that formula for creating a tribe. We've talked about purpose, and you're going to live longer. You're going to bounce back faster, and you're going to make more money when you're on purpose. And we spoke about the reasons why that's good for you and how to go about it. And then we've spoken about your next chapter. Final question I've got. Is there a question in you thinking about this in preparation that you're thinking, oh, I hope you ask me that? Or is there a question you want to ask me? No, and then not to not to say I didn't give it the thought. I think the you know I, I was reflecting on it. We've had the privilege of meeting a number of people towards the end of their life, and appreciating their wisdom as they look back on their life. And it's not the car they owned, the house they you know finally could afford, the schools they sent their kids to. It's all about the relationships that they have and the genuine wish that they'd put more into it you know and that relationship isn't just your immediate circle it's you know finding good people and bringing them into your into your world 
And I think that's the part that I don't want to be 85 and and not having given more people just an insight into there's so much more to life when you expose how, how much you can give. And I think that's that's the part that isn't acquiring and, you know, geez, I got a new pair of shoes or the latest bike. You know, the, the power of helping others is so much more towards helping yourself. Love it. At 85, I have a vision of you and I on a beach, on the northern beaches, wearing appropriately tight shirts for our age and still trying to smash each other. <laughs> what a beautiful goal. <laughs> Mate, you have to come and join our Tuesday night poker and Wednesday night kettlebells, Wednesday morning kettlebells. Probably more, <clears throat> like, seriously, I was just winding up about the Tuesday night. I'll come and do the Wednesday. I, you love I try it. and, when I, because I'm traveling a little bit, I try and keep nights to the kids, um, but early mornings, yeah. That's, I'll, I'll come and join you in one of those. Made a sunrise, great mates, a good workout and some good coffee conversations. There's nothing better. Done. I'll be there. Hey, thank you. Thank you for your contribution. Thank you for your friendship and thank you for sharing your message today. Uh, I'm privileged to have you as a mate. Come here. Give me a big hug. <laughs> big, big beast. <laughs> thank you, mate.